Seven day boogie. It is I, your friend, the man, the host, the boogeyman, Jordan Tolfer, here again for episode 20, which feels monumental. Um, if this, if the 20th episode of this podcast is anything like the 20th year of the 2000s, then I should throw my computer out of the window. Uh, but here we are. Thank you for listening. Hope you've been glistening. I hope you're all doing well. Up top, I want to shout out to Nick Cox for making the logo of this show that you see every week on your podcast streaming platform. When I come into this show and you open it up and it's there and you see me, Nick Cox is responsible for what you see when you click on my face. And I also want to give a big shout out to my brother, Nick Tolford, for creating the wonderful, beautiful theme song that graces the beginning and end of each episode of the Seven Day Boogie. And I also just want to give a quick message and uh, vibe of safety to my brothers out in California. California, obviously, being devastated by wildfires right now. So just wishing everyone to be safe out in California and anyone that is affected by the fires. I wish you the best. I'm going to include a couple links to some places where you can help out if you are able in the description of this podcast. So please click them and help out if you are able to. Thank you. I would very much appreciate it. And I'm sure that everyone affected by what's going on in California right now will be affected by it also. I have some links in the description of this show in general that just always sit there. If you want to click those and support if you can, please do. Other than that, thank you for being here. Let's jump right into it. Actually, reverse jump, sidestep, hop, leap backwards. One more shout out. Before we get into this show, huge shout out to my beautiful, intelligent, and talented girlfriend, Erin, for making me some sick prints for the seven-day boogie. You can see those on my Instagram. I'm going to crop them and get them maybe a little frame going, hang them up around the, the, the blanket studio. They're wonderful, and I love them, and I love her. So, what else have I been doing? Last weekend, I actually took a little trip. Took a little uh, quarantine boogie down to Cincinnati where a, a, a bachelor party for my good, good, wonderful, hilarious friend Kyle was planned. Much planning went into it to make sure everyone was comfortable. You know, he's still getting married in the climate of the, of the year, but, you know, obviously a lot of things were adjusted. We had a, a couple people together for Kyle just to try to give him a nice night of hanging out with the the dates, you know, so we hung out, we watched some wrestling, just first off, much love to Kyle and his fiance, future wife, Kylie, uh, much happiness and love to you both. So we at Kyle's bachelor party watched, uh, some wrestling, which is something that Kyle and I love very much. It has brought us together and closer as friends and we enjoy it so much that we had to take advantage of the fact that there was an AEW pay-per-view on the night that we were hanging out for the bachelor party. So we got it, and we watched it, 
And it was great. Asterisk. There was something on that show that happened. A couple things on that show. Two things mainly that happened that scared the shit out of me. And I'm not talking about, like, you know, we're going to peel the curtain back a little bit. Like, seriously gnarly, like, viewer discretion is advised moments uh, on this show that both took away from what was other than that, like, a super enjoyable show with insane things that were supposed to happen that happened that were pretty much overshadowed by two events that I will talk about that happened. Uh, If you don't want any spoilers, skip ahead, like, for five minutes or until you skip to something and hear me not talking about wrestling anymore. So, Matt Hardy is a wrestler that I very much enjoy. He's known for, like, a hardcore style. He is definitely a pioneer of some of the more extreme stunts that have happened he's had a lot of like different characters in wrestling he is now in aew and was having a match with sammy guevara that was a broken rules match now this match came about because sammy guevara threw a chair at matt hardy during a wrestling show a few weeks previous and cut him on the forehead very severely and gave him a concussion so this match was formed by them both hurting each other Matt Hardy then got, like, um, revenge on Sammy and made him bleed, you know, hit him, I think, in the side of the head with something, causing him to bleed, so they were even. So now this broken rules match was formed, you know, all anything-goes type match. But Sammy's like a young gun, so that wasn't good enough for him. So he wanted to make the match that if he won, Matt Hardy would be out of AEW. This type of match happens a lot, where if the, like a loser leaves town match, but only Matt Hardy's career was on the line in this instance. And that is important because of what happened during the match. During the match, there was a, a pretty crazy moment that was going to happen where Sammy Guevara was going to like tackle Matt Hardy off of a forklift that they had wrestled onto because this match anything goes in this match they could fight all around the ref was going to follow them and pin you know pin whenever wherever whatever you can do throw through tables yada 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 you know drive hit him with a truck whatever you can do so during this match Matt Hardy is standing on a forklift more of a scissor lift as one does during competition and is like tackled off of it with the intention of landing on tables, quote-unquote, safely, uh, you know, Sammy tackles Matt off of these tables where they're set up, where there's, like, two rows of tables. They completely fly over the first row of of tables, so pretty much they land, like, bottom-heavy first on the second side of tables, which kind of sends them to, like, keter over a little bit. Keter's a word. Keter over a little bit. And it basically causes Matt Hardy to hit the back of his head flush on the concrete. And it is obvious almost immediately as soon as you can see him in the frame after they make contact with the table that he is knocked out. Like he is like his arms have stiffened up. He is very much not okay. And the ref knows this and... 
They like assess the situation for a couple seconds. It is very obvious that Matt Hardy is like not fit to continue. In my opinion, in from the video, it was very obvious that he was unfit to continue. And another thing that happens in in wrestling, obviously, they're gonna do crazy things to each other. And had that spot gone off as planned, they would have landed in the tables, which is devastating in context of the match, but not devastating enough to where they could not continue the match. What actually happened, and Matt Hardy basically catapulting himself directly to the ground from like 10 feet up, let's say, causing a very obvious head injury that made everyone in the room that I was in kind of fall silent. You know, the people that watch MMA, watch all sorts of things, horror movie fans, fall silent because we had all witnessed something that we knew was not really part of the game. When the ref kind of assesses assesses the situation, she does something that is very common in wrestling matches when a competitor is legitimately unable to continue the match. The ref throws the X, crosses her arms over her head, signifying that, hey, this is no longer in context of a wrestling match. This person is hurt. We need medical attention here immediately. This is the, hey, y'all, I'm not fucking around sign. Like, shit's bad right now. So she gives the X, throws the X over the head, the person that he's wrestling, Sammy, like, is trying to continue the match. I get the feeling immediately once the X gets thrown up and it is obvious that the announcers know that this was not supposed to happen, that I get the feeling immediately that Matt Hardy was supposed to win this match. Now, most of the time, they would just call this match a no contest or they would call the other, like, they would have the other competitor pin the person that was hurt it's just a it's a bad match that person loses no big deal however in this match specifically this match if Matt if Matt Hardy lost this match he had to fucking quit wrestling which albeit probably considering the amount of injuries he's had wouldn't be a bad idea but in the context of this match if he lost he was going to have to leave AEW however that was not what the outcome was going to be of the match. He was supposed to beat Sammy to maybe further or cool off, win the rivalry, and continue his career in AEW wrestling. Because the X was thrown up, that means he loses the match, which holds weight to say that he would have to leave. Now, that this is a situation where the fans know that something unplanned has happened, but the, the announcers can't just say that the opponent wins because then what happens with Matt Hardy's career? They also couldn't come on TV and say, hey, Matt Hardy was injured during this fight, so the match doesn't count. That blows up the whole thing in its face. It's a, it's a crazy, the rabbit is pulling himself out of the hat situation. So they don't stop the match. The announcers, they throw it to the announcers who basically shrug and give like a, eh like unsure what to do type look into the camera. And then it goes back to where the two competitors were fighting as Sammy kind of walks through a door backstage and then walks back out. And Matt Hardy tries and is continuing this match on wobbly legs, continuing this match, which I've never seen. 
Never seen an X be thrown. I haven't seen every wrestling match in existence, but I've never seen an X get thrown up to call off a match and then to have the match go back and continue like this did. So Matt Hardy was supposed to win, and he did end up winning the match. They basically immediately just had Matt Hardy like climb two feet up scaffolding with Sammy basically pulling him up the entire way. And then Matt kind of punches Sammy, and Sammy falls off the scaffolding through tables, and that is supposed to be the finish, that Sammy gets called out, sorry, counted out, which is a 10 count, flat on his back, without lifting his hands or showing signs of being able to compete, which is exactly what Matt actually did earlier in the match, but that was the planned, agreed-upon ending that Matt Hardy was going to win, so he did. But that was insane. And uh, it was kind of a tough moment to watch as a wrestling fan. I, I love wrestling very much. I don't want to see any of these competitors get actually hurt. Which also almost happened, which is the other moment that I want to bring up about this show. Which, again, I very much enjoyed this show. The two things that I'm talking about, for me, overshadowed the experience a little bit of what was otherwise a like very entertaining wrestling pay-per-view. During another match that was like a battle royale, which is where like uh, groups of competitors come into the ring and you have to throw a competitor over the top rope to eliminate them and it whittles down until there's only one person left. During this match, there was a new AEW wrestler that was making a debut who was a former WWE wrestler who went by the name of Evan Bourne in WWE, but is now on the indie circuit and is more predominantly pretty much longer known now as Matt Seidel. Matt Seidel makes his debut in AEW, does a couple moves of offense, is really about to do what is one of his signature moves, which is like a forward mo- like forward moving backflip, like a gainer. It's called a shooting star press where you jump forward, you do a backflip, and you like bodies like land with your body onto your opponent matt seidel does them with grace and they are beautiful when matt seidel does these most of the time what happened when he gets into the ring he like throws a knee and knocks someone down as soon as that he comes in like big surprise right big big entrance gets into the ring he's about to do this beautiful shooting star press and when he jumps it looks like legitimately like a cartoon character slips on a banana peel. He attempts to jump, and when he goes to throw his momentum backwards to complete the backflip, his feet just completely come out from underneath him, and he falls very near directly on his head. He gets up and continues the match and ends up, you know, being okay and wasn't seriously injured, but for a debut, for a debut move, and for the move to go as poorly as it did was a huge bummer. Again, that is to say the rest of the card was very, very fun, but I just had to – it was kind of shocking, those two those two things that happened. It was a, a an odd wrestling pay-per-view, to say the least, with that Matt Hardy and Matt Seidel events. Maybe it's just – it wasn't a good weekend for wrestling mats. Boom, cha. Mats – people named mats that wrestle – and people that are wrestling mats that get body slammed on. You know? But seamless transition. I'm going to bring something up that has me a little, my gear's a little grinded. 
and I'm a little disappointed. And it's to say that I, the Sticky Bandits are yet to have any additional recruitment applications. Kevin and I continue to search the West, the Plains, the Rivieras, the Bayou for applicants to the Sticky Bandits. What more can I offer you? Fun, fishing, bounties, money, cool hats. Come join the Sticky Bandits. Shout me out, you know, PS4, The Seven Day Boogie. Find me on PlayStation and come join the, the Sticky Bandits, huh? Come on, me and Kev will treat you right. We'll have a good time. We'll dance. We can go down to my, I have a bar. We can toast and eat almonds and drink moonshine and have fun. We can play fiddle. Whatever you want to do. So join the Sticky Bandits. We'll have a great time. If not, you know, I'll still be mad. But uh, that's up to you. And I hope uh, I hope you're okay with not being a part of the Sticky Bandits because you're missing out, to be completely honest. And I've been, uh, you know, but I've been playing a lot of PlayStation. And something new has entered, a new playing game has entered the brawl. And you, you might know me as a skater. Right? You know me as a skater. I skateboard. I have a shred. We talk about it on the pod, you know? And I would be a liar if I said I didn't play a lot of Tony Hawk Pro Skater growing up. But lately I've been more into the EA skate games. And they're the, the control, the main difference for me there is the controls, where Tony Hawk is like a very arcadey game. I'm getting way ahead of myself. There's a new Tony Hawk Pro Skater out, and it's so much fun. I'm playing it so much. It is a throwback. I Now I get to say what I was about to say. I need to say sorry to the Hawkman, Tony. I was not... I was openly saying I was not very excited for the new Tony Hawk game to come out. Because the last time... I My heart's been broken by Tony in the past from a gaming standpoint. While the first few installments of the Tony Hawk Pro Skater game were among some of my favorites growing up, the way that the quality teetered off on the installment before the one that just came out. I I bought the one that came out before this most recent game, and it was worse and less fun to play than the Solitaire. And I don't know how to play Solitaire. So it was, I had less fun playing a game I know how to play than staring at a computer screen with cards in front of it that I want so badly to know. But I'll never know. So the new Tony Hawk Pro Skater comes out. And I've been playing like EA Skate, which is a whole different, like I was saying, control scheme. You use the joysticks in EA Skate, so you're kind of in control of the feet rather than pushing buttons to do tricks, which I very much enjoyed. But wow, this new Tony Hawk is taking me back. It's bringing me back some serious nostalgia. And it's also bringing back a a sense of frustration and gaming uh, pressure that I have not felt in quite some time. The challenges in this game are so hard and it makes, they make me sweat. It makes me sweat. I'm playing, I'm a, a wet ass pro skater. <laughs> Tony Hawk's wet ass pro skater whaps, thwaps. Tony Hawk's wet ass pro skater is me sitting in my chair on my lunch break trying to get like a super high score on the downhill jam and it's so hard the game is very difficult i'm gonna keep playing 
So just have fun, you know, that's what I'm saying. Pull out an old game. Maybe it is solitaire. I'm sorry. I'm just jealous of of anyone that can do solitaire because I can't. So I'll play my Tony Hawk and my Cowboys, which add me on PlayStation if you want to join. Seven Day Boogie. The Seven Day Boogie on PlayStation. Seven Day Boogie on Instagram. But just here's here's my boogie of the week. Go play a game you haven't played in a while. The boogie the boogie mission of the week for the viewers is go play a game you haven't played in a while. Bring an old board game out, Shoots and Ladders, Candyland, you know? Bring something old out and just let go for a little bit. Try to forget the stress and stuff like that. I know it's hard these days, but just try to unwind, you know? Everyone owes themselves a little bit of time to unwind every once in a while. So find an old game and just have a nice little enjoyment, you know? Another thing that I like to do to unwind is the Shutter Shoutout. Oh, yeah. Shutter Shoutout of the week. Not again, again, not a Shutter Shoutout, but as um, this was on Netflix. And this is a movie that I neglected when it first came out. But I'm glad that I circled back and checked it off my list. This week's scary movie pick of the week, boogie pick, is Apollo 18, which I have also deemed, in parentheses, Apollo 18, not your mama's moon mission. So I again, like I said, I definitely ducked it a little bit when it came out because it, it's a found footage type horror movie, a space type horror movie, found footage style that kind of came out when the paranormal activities and when um, some of those other like found footage type movies were coming out. Cloverfield was coming out. So it was a, a big push of these like found footage, shaky camera type movies. And I get migraines and I can't, I couldn't watch all of them at the time. But I got time now. Definitely glad I watched it. This is definitely worth the, uh, definitely worth watching. This movie is based on a moon mission that follows Apollo 17. It like does a little intro. Apollo 17 was not the final moon mission. There were videotapes recovered from Apollo 18, which was the true final Apollo mission. And this movie is comprised of that footage moving forward. Okay, so it's three super cool astronauts that are going on this secret moon mission. They're having like a cookout, they're having a barbecue, and then the guy with aviators on answers the phone, and it's space, and she's a Colin. So they gotta go, they gotta go to the moon, and while they're on the moon, they, shit goes wrong. I'm just gonna say that. Uh, it's like a small cast, there's only really a couple people in it, and it's good. They have some solid, good performances, funky shit happens on the moon, um, it flows pretty well, it's got a really good ending, the like the storyline and everything is like just vague enough to feel like it's still pretty real or like this uh i feel like this movie would have been cool if it got released like on youtube without like a big press showing or anything like that because it, it does like the red circle stuff or like the highlighted like zoom in focus shots like sasquatch footage or like the other found footage but doesn't have like a whole bunch of other backstory or explanation about what happens to these three astronauts on the moon so i enjoyed it so that's going to be my boogie pick of the week apollo 18 check it out not your mama's moon mission so we go straight from the boogie pick 
to the shut-in shout-out. We are just cruising through Dark, season one. We are on episode seven of ten of the first season. More than halfway done. Things are popping off as they always do. So let's get right into it. Dark, episode seven, Crossroads. The cold opens before the the theme are getting more and more odd. This one opens up with um, this little Peaky Blinder that wakes up. He's this, like, kid in, like, newsboy clothes that has, like, an ear thing going on, and it's bad. So that, he wakes up in the, the, the little Peaky Blinder, wakes up in the, like, disco bedroom and looks around, and whoa, and then it goes straight into the, the intro, right? So we find out that that is Helga Doppler, the the science elder, who is also the security guard for the power plant in 1986. So there's so much. Okay. Also, we see Jonas going to 80s high school, kind of exploring where he's at in 1986. While he is exploring it in 1986, he doesn't know whether or not to like confront Mikkel. And I, I was so certain that they were going to do an ultimate fist bump and be friends. But obviously that can't happen because time rift, yada, 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 right? So Jonas is about to like bust open this whole thing, I thought, at the beginning of this episode. He's looking at Mikhail, kind of putting the pieces together, asking around town, not huddled in a pile of poo-poo like I would be if I got transported in 1986, but... We are going to come back to Jonas in a little bit. We find out Eyepatch Policeman says to Charlotte that the search warrant has been obtained for the nuclear power plant. And th- at the beginning of this episode is when I started to figure or started to kind of think that we are missing something with Eyepatch Cop. I don't know what it is. I don't know what his involvement is. He's barely really been involved at all, and he doesn't really have a backstory, but he's, like, shown a lot. I don't think I know what happened to his eye. I view that he's... Something's going on with Eyepatch Cop. So Charlotte has the search warrant for this the power plant, but does not tell Ulrich, rightfully so, because Ulrich probably would have gone pure fucking Jorgen von Strangle, and like tried to run down and just gun everyone down at the at the power plant. So Charlotte is probably gonna check things out on her own at first, just to see what's going on and make sure everyone's got a cool head in the town. Which spoiler alert, no one does. She's gonna check things out first and then come back to it, right? So we find out that Little Peaky Blinder is in 1986 is Helga Doppler, who is the power plant security guard that has a crush on repelling in a pantsuit. New boss, Helga is son of the former power plant boss. So Helga is deeply involved in this full grand scheme. Helga, we find out also, is who I've been referring to as science elder in the future. I may have been wrong about him being like the physics guy on TV. For now, I'm going to say I was wrong, but... Helga Doppler is the security guard at the power plant at the time that Mads goes missing. Helga Doppler is the old man that is saying, we must stop him, we must stop him, it's going to happen again, tick tock, tick tock. So something, he's very involved in everything that's going on. Charlotte begins searching 
the grounds of the power plant with the warrant. Alexander is a serpent. He does not want them to do so. He's the fucking worst. This episode, and I'm, I've known this the whole show, but it's really starting to come into pure, clear view. The women of Wyndon run shit, okay? Katarina figures everything out, blows it all up to Ulrich. She's got everything figured out on that side. Ulrich is an idiot. Every husband in this show is a moron, as far as I'm concerned. I'm only really rooting for Jonas and Marta and Magnus and Fran at this point. It's the new age, right? Ulrich blows. The therapist blows. Everyone's blowing it. The women are where it's at in Winden, and that is clear as day, right? Charlotte finds, apparently there's just a fucking harness sitting at the caves where, like, you go down and find all the goop. There's Unless Charlotte has it on her, which I would not be surprised. While all of this is happening, Ulrich is still looking through the old case file. And he continues to find more and more holes in the investigation into Mads' disappearance. He finds that Helga Doppler, who we've seen in the beginning, Little Peaky Blinder and Science Elder, we see that he was supposed to be investigated, but never showed on the day that he was supposed to be interviewed. So he's finding all these holes in this story, and Ulrich is starting to see or kind of surmise that, that Helga is involved somehow, either with Mikkel's disappearance or Mads' disappearance or both. He's just really starting to kind of keep an eye on the like holes in this case from Mads' disappearance because Ulrich knows that Mads is the boy that they found in the present in the woods. So he's just trying to kind of piece together like who may have been involved in this? How did Mads get to the present? Where is, again, when and where is Mikkel? Everything like that. While Jonas is kind of following up with trying to find Mikkel, he goes to the hospital. He finds out that Mikkel is there. He is like about to confront Mikkel and they're about to ultimate feast bump when the hooded man pulls Jonas back and basically gives him the choice, gives him the full time rundown. If you bring Mikkel back to the future, you're gonna save Mikkel's life, save your father's life, but Mikkel will never meet your mother, they will never fall in love, and you will never be born. So it's a choice of time and life. Jonas either has to take Mikkel, save Mikkel, and take him back in time while erasing his own existence, or save himself and be part of this bigger plan, the hooded man starts to explain, and let Mikael kind of follow in on being in 1986, becoming Mikael, becoming Jonas's father, and ensuring that Jonas has his part in this bigger scheme. The next scene is where we see Ulrich admit that he's been suspended for his erratic behavior from the police station. Katarina also tells him that she knows about he and Hannah, and Ulrich is just a mess. He's the worst, right? After that, we see the next scene pretty much directly after Mikkel goes back inside. He's at a snack machine. Jonas is still watching Mikkel, unsure of whether or not he is going to kind of um, participate in what's going on and interfere or take Mikkel back home. And then he sees Mikkel meet Hannah. Jonas watches his parents meet, and this is where he decides... He takes, like, the this is the choice between his life or Mikkel Papa's life, and Jonas chooses not to intervene. 
He's going to return to the present. He's going to let this play out, and he's going to, again, assume his role in the bigger picture of what's going on in the darkest place of all time, Wyndon. Ulrich goes to visit his mother. Katarina, when she says all the things that she knows about he and Hannah, also mentions that Ulrich's mother calls and has something that she wants to tell him. Ulrich goes and visits her. Ulrich's mother says that the night that Mads goes missing, a few days before that, she saw Noah, the priest, arguing with a man. The night that Mikkel goes missing, or a few days after, Ulrich's mother sees the same man, sees Noah. But this time, when she sees him, instead of being aged like someone would be with 33 years of space between being seen, he's the same age. He looks just like he did that when she saw him a week before Mads went missing in 1986. A few days after Mikkel goes missing, Ulrich's mother sees Noah and he is not aged. She also explains that the man that he was arguing with had something happened to his ear. So basically explains that ties in entirely and solidifies that Helga is involved somehow, directly knows Noah, maybe he's the muscle for Noah or something like that. We will find out more, I'm sure, by the end of this season. We cut now to the the eye patch cop. The eye patch cop is really coming down and coming through huge in this story and I really think that we are going to neglect him in the story until we figure out that he's Jonas or something crazy, right? So he has questions about the cabin that he knows is Charlotte's, is um, the Doppler's cabin. He's asking questions. She just kind of blows him off, but like raises every eyebrow in the whole universe towards that statement and decides to go check it out, not involving Eyepatch Cop, which I'm sure is a mistake because of something that's going to happen in the future or the past or whatever. Charlotte goes to the cabin. While she's at the cabin, she calls her husband and starts to ask him questions about what was going on with his father and what his father may have been doing the night that Mads was gone or was he living in that cabin at the time? Like, what's going on with that cabin? Why was he so connected to it? Something bad happened to him in that cabin at one point, but he kept working on it or, like, restoring it, but very, very odd. So she asked those questions and she knows what's going... Like, she knows this whole thing is tied together. She's just really trying to put together the full framework and... I'm starting to kind of understand timelines and at least what is happening, but I'm completely failing to understand why. I don't really know what, like, Noah's game is here. So I'm hoping to get some, like, big picture information, obviously, in the next couple episodes. So Hannah wakes up, and Jonas is back in the present. He's gone back through the time portal. And he talks to his mom just about, like, what everything that goes on with Mikkel. And he says that, you know, Michael loved her very much. And they have this, like, very tender moment. And then the episode ends with you see Jonas burning the f- letter from his father. He burns the letter from his father, pretty much erasing any evidence of what is going on as far as Mikkel and Mikael are concerned. So he is fully just accepting that that is what happened and that's what is going to happen. Ulrich comes back to the hospital to talk to Helga, who has basically been awoken by the lights flickering from Jonas traveling back in time. And Ulrich gets there just as Helga is, like, leaving and escaping from this hospital, like, this care facility. 
Ulrich finds the tra- like Journey Through Time book. Inside of it, he finds a coin necklace that is very, very similar to the one that he found on Mads' body. So this solidifies entirely that Helga is involved in this whole thing, and Ulrich walks out the back door that he sees is open and starts to follow Helga into the forest that's near the extended care facility. Helga walks all the way into the caves. Ulrich follows him, calls Charlotte, leaves a voicemail, basically says, like, it's not whether he did it, it's when he did it. He's involved somehow, not now, but in the past. So Ulrich is trying to kind of reinstate himself in the investigation, getting reaching out to Charlotte about what he's finding out. Follows Helga into the caves. Helga walks straight into the caves, finds this like secret hidden lamp that helps him go through everything. And he walks deeper and deeper into the caves with Ulrich right behind them. We also see Helga in 1986 starting to dispose or try to dispose of Mads's body with the coin around his neck. When that happens, it goes down into the basement and we see Noah, the priest, who has the Sigmundus triangle like prayer thing tattooed on his back and he's fucking jacked. So he's a big villain. I He's a villain. Snake Father is a villain. Every man in Twinden is a villain. And I don't know what's going to happen next. I think that Noah is the boss. I think that every man basically in Winden is involved somehow. It's this deep secret, something related to the power plant and potentially either stopping something from happening or starting a big like lineup of events that are happening. I still don't really know what the eventual goal of all of this is, but I'm hoping to find out. So here's what we know. Helga, Noah, the therapist, and Ulrich's father at this point are who we know are involved in everything that's going on with these disappearances. I think Alexander also covers things up. I don't know how much he knows, but as the boss of the power plant, he has to know something. I also think that Regina, the hotel owner, knows a little bit about what's going on, but again, is kind of at arm's length about exactly what's happening as I am 20,000 arms lengths away. Charlotte is Batwoman and is going to absolutely solve what's going on, is definitely turning into like the absolute hero of this entire, entire show. And she's going to crack this case and probably also her husband's skull. Jonas, again, is letting this all kind of play out to find out his bigger role in this whole thing. And Mikkel is indeed his father, Michael, and that whole thing is going to play out. Here is what I want to know. Here's what I need to know. Who is Noah? Why is he doing this? What is the significance of the Sigmundus? Is it like a cult? Is it some kind of immortality game? Is there some unknown god that we're unaware of right now? Don't know. Also, what happened in 1953? At the end of the episode, Noah writes in chalk these dates, um, November 9th, 1953, and November 5th, 1986. So I definitely want to know what all's going on there. Like, where did this whole thing originate, obviously? I really need to know more about, like, who the hooded man is. I know there's multiple hooded men, but who talks to Jonas? Who's the guy that is talking about knowing Jonas, I think, is that Jonas? I'm going to say either Jonas is that guy or Jonas is eyepatch cop. Those are who I'm guessing. Uh, there's a lot of other questions, but and those are my main ones. And that's really all I'm going to cover today. Until next week, 
Watch Apollo 18. Add me on Instagram at the seven day boogie. Watch dark, like, comment, subscribe, share this podcast with your friends. It would mean a whole lot to me. Follow me on Instagram, like I said, at the seven day boogie. Also add me on PlayStation at the seven day boogie. And we will talk to you next week. Stay safe, everyone. Visit the links in this episode summary or the bio for the show if you want to help out. I love you very much. Thank you so much for listening. Get the glisten and until next time.